everyone. Welcome once again to Calvary Conversations. I'm your host for this episode, Joshua Paxton, Director of the Burnham Center for Global Engagement here at Calvary University. And with me today is Dr. Mark Hedinger, Executive Director of Culturebound, uh, Adjunct Professor at Western Seminary in Portland, and he has also served, uh, how long were you? Well, you still serve as a missionary with Crossworld, uh, in, uh, which Crossworld is one of our synergy partners here with Calvary. He has been married to his wife, Karen, for how long now, Mark? Oh, goodness, you're going to get me in trouble. Um, I'm, supposed to, I'm, I'm supposed to know these things right off the top of my head. Uh, Karen, how long have we been married? Oh, and she's there. Almost 38 years. Almost 38 years. Oh, dear. Oh dear. Oh, <laughs> they have four children uh, and 11 grandchildren. And he is, and I found it, he is the co author with Dr. Enoch Wan of Relational Missionary Training. You can, you can see how much I have poured over this particular book. Uh, but our topic for today is how churches, local churches, can be intentional in reaching the nations right next door. Uh, so Kansas City alone, uh, Mark is in Portland, which is probably even a greater number than we have here in Kansas City. But in Kansas City, there's 63 plus ethnic groups that are part of that's only the ones who are part of the Ethnic Enrichment Commission. We know that, you know, just immigration is not something that's going away, it's only going to increase. And so, Mark, do you. Do you actually have on, do you have off the top of your head any statistics on how many different ethnic groups are in Portland? I don't. No, it would be, it would be interesting to know. I, you know, we, we've got some anecdotal ideas, but we don't, I don't have numbers. Okay. So I was just curious. Yeah. So, uh, well, we want to start, you are, you are the executive director of Culture Bound. And so let's start with what is, what is Culture Bound and, and what do you do? Yeah, thank you. Culture Bound is uh, is an organization that we actually date back into the mid 1960s, but our our focus, our goal, is to equip organizations, people, individuals, to be more effective at ministry in a different culture and with a second language in a in an unfamiliar language. So, we don't teach language per se. We don't teach specific cultures per se. We teach people how to go about learning those things. Uh, so we we work with um, mission organizations, we work with churches, uh, we work with schools, we work with uh, a variety of, of different kinds of uh, organizations that have to work across cultures. And in the past, those organizations almost always were sending an expat to live overseas. Yes. So that's that's where we started off. But then we realized, well, that same skill set is really necessary for, for example, a local church that wants to reach into a community that's uh, shifting and changing around them. And the, there's, a, there's a much higher number of immigrants in that community. Well, how do you reach them? Well, it's not the same thing as reaching your, your American neighbors was 30 years ago. So we found that the same tool set actually can be very helpful for that local church kind of context. Yes, absolutely. And you know, even then, I, I don't want anybody who's listening to this to necessarily check out because they're like, hey, well, I, I'm not involved in cross-cultural ministry, but a lot of the, you know, a lot of the tools, a lot of the skills that are involved in cross-cultural ministry are equally applicable to 
you know, people who aren't necessarily of a different culture, but they don't share our worldview. They don't have a Christian worldview. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. Uh, so so bridging that gap into a into a different worldview that's different, uh, moving from from a uh, a point of view that says the Bible is true and that there is <clears throat> that there is a God, and moving that into a into a more secular context where people either reject that outright or just say it's irrelevant. Um, the other place where our training has been uh, effective and really helpful is crossing generations. And so, yes. uh, you know, myself as, uh, you know, uh, mid-60s, young young 60s, working with uh, uh, lots of people around us in their mid-20s, uh, you know, the experiences, the things that shaped me are very different than the things that shaped my my colleagues and my neighbors and my, you know, the 20-somethings the around me. And so learning how to to bridge that gap has turned into, uh, interestingly enough, has, has turned into kind of part of our uh, our work as well. Yeah, absolutely. As I as I work on my <laughs> dissertation, I'm doing a lot of research on Generation Z, and uh, as a as a Gen Xer, member of the the forgotten generation, nobody really talks about us that much, uh, but. A lot of differences there in yeah. technology, familiarity with technology and growing up with it and how that has affected their development and everything. And, you know, we all know it remains to be seen what uh, post-COVID uh, generation will will do. So, um, so how has your experience placed you in a unique situation for helping local churches reach peoples of other ethnicities right next door? What we've discovered, and uh, this is just kind of putting words on something that we've we've understood for a long time, but we're we're now able to say it a lot more clearly, is that nobody can actually teach you another culture. You know, you, sure. you'll 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 want to find that book that's going to say, you know, this is everything you need to know about your Mexican neighbors. Uh, my wife and I and our four kids lived in Mexico for twelve years, and we were in one part of the country. And when we would talk to people from another part of the country, it was a completely different set of realities. So mm -hmm. simple point, there's no simple video series or book that's going to say, here's everything you need to know to be able to reach into this people group. Um, you know, <clears throat> and we sort of wish that it was so, but it's not, that's just not reality. What uh, is reality is I, nobody can teach you, but you can learn. Yes, uh, it, it is really possible to be a self-directed learner at going into a new culture and saying, OK, I can I can frame my own questions and I can find my own answers and I can learn how to adjust and I can actually learn how to have a fruitful interaction with this with this other group of people whose experiences and background and worldview is very different than mine. And I can learn how to do that. So. We teach people the attitudes and the skills that are going to help them to be self-directed at learning a new culture and a new language. So I, as, as I listen, you know, as I listen to that, I'm reminded of conversations that I frequently have with students as an intercultural studies professor, and they're, you know, the student would like me to give them, okay, well, here's, you know, here's the ten things that if you just do this in in this particular culture, you'll you'll be okay. But it doesn't exist. Um, it takes, you know, it takes work and it takes effort to to dig in there and build relationships and, you know, really learn from people. So, uh, so 
if a local church has a a vision, you know, let's let's maybe talk to some of the pastors or church leaders who might be watching us today. If a local church has a vision for reaching other ethnic groups around them, what should they what should they know? Like where where do they begin? Just let's say, you know, I'm a pastor and I got this people group who's living next door and I really want to reach out to them with the gospel. Where do I start? Yeah, um, I would start, uh, you know, part of the, the place that we come from is the idea that there really truly are relationships and human relationships in, in a certain sense kind of trump uh, everything else about, about intercultural work. If you, can, if you can start to develop those human relationships, that's going to give you an avenue for learning. It's going to give you an avenue for sharing, for, for teaching. It's going to help every single way. It's going to give you that emotional and that motivational uh, perspective to be able to move into those other conversations too. So the first place to start, we would, we would say, is a relationship with the Lord and say, Lord, are you leading us into, these pe into this people group? Because sometimes he doesn't. You know, sometimes he says, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world, that's still part of our Bible. That's still true. But it may be that he's got somebody else working in that particular ethnic group or that particular cultural group that's close to you. So Absolutely. you say, okay, Lord, uh, our calling isn't to that. Maybe do we have a calling? Do you have us? Do you want to direct us somewhere else? So we would really, uh, we would really strongly say, start, start with, uh, start by saying, Lord, would you direct us? But then as he starts directing you. Uh, that first step is uh, is is really to just start very with a with a humble spirit, an attitude of a learner, saying, "How do I get involved?" Uh, try going into their marketplace. Try try walking through the the neighborhood where where a number of those people live, but do it not not saying I've got the answers and I want to come in here and teach these people. Do it saying, no, I have to start by learning from these people. What are their what are their values? What are what are they looking for in life? Because the Bible probably will bridge that gap somehow. Um, maybe mm -hmm. maybe with a corrective, almost always a little bit of a corrective and a little bit of an of, a, of an encouragement. But so you, that's where you start. You start by that humble approach of saying, I need to learn these people before I can start to minister uh, to and with them. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that that sparked something in my head. It's not on my it's not on my list of things to talk about necessarily, but um, how how important is it? You know, you mentioned um, learn taking the posture of a learner. And so how important is it that in taking that posture of a learner, we also reflect upon how, you know, the Bible interacts with our own culture. And sometimes, you know, we can we can place our culture on top of of biblical yeah. things, and then that can affect how we interact with people of other cultures. Oh, that is so true. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, amazing book, the the Bible. Amazing conversation or communication from God to us, and and allows us to see ourselves in a whole lot more reality than than we do when we're just comparing ourselves with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And and so when we start comparing ourselves with God's word, we realize like Isaiah, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. And there's there's not a people group on the planet 
that can say, well, we've got this all nailed. Uh, we don't. We're, we, yeah. we, we, we are also in need of continuing to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Second Peter passage is uh, just forever ringing in my ears. Of uh, it, It's a continual growth on this, uh, on this side of eternity. And I can hardly wait sometimes to find out. So, and what happens on the other side of eternity? How do, <laughs> how do those uh, those people to people relationships? What are those going to look like when we no longer are, uh, you know, uh, bogged down with our own presuppositions and sinful natures? Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it's a, a matter that to learn somebody else's culture. One of the key ingredients is to know ourselves well and to know. <laughs> What are the what are the assumptions that we make about life? What are the assumptions that we make about what's important and you know how to value things? Uh, we were working with a, a family just not not very long ago that's on their way into a part of the world where normal dinner time at, in the evening is about ten o'clock at night and normal you know normal bedtimes one in the morning and people have a long period where they just uh, enjoy socializing in the in the late what we would consider to be kind of late night. And they're saying, "Wow, this is going to be this is <laughs> exactly yeah, that's right. No man, I'm at ten o'clock. I'm I'm gone. I'm I'm out of here." <laughs> and uh, so they're saying, "So how's that going to work?" And I said, "Well, you're going to have to make some adjustments. Uh, the 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 countryside around you is not. They're not going to adjust to you. So if you want to be invited to people's homes, if you want to be a part of their social life, you have to adjust. And that's part of what goes into intercultural." work anywhere is there's a two-way adjusting that that happens but if you're finding yourself in a neighborhood where something like that is normal then you have to adjust to it and and kind of get into sync get into that same rhythm of life uh to a certain degree so that you can build the bridges yes yeah i recall uh i recall being in italy um you know so basically all of the businesses shut down between like one o'clock and and four o'clock so and then they would open at four o'clock and be open until like eight nine o'clock at night um and so you had to know i'm not going to be able to do something between those hours i've i've either got to get it done sooner or i'm going to have to wait uh so yeah. Yep. And and then you enter into that and you say, wow, everybody else is taking a nap right now or whatever the normal activity is. I've, and and well, how about if I join and do that same thing? And that way I'm on the same. Like I said, I think syncing is a, is a really good word sometimes. How can I sync up with uh, with their patterns so that I'm better equipped to be able to build those bridges of understanding between myself and my neighbors? Yeah. And and so, I mean, put that in the context of. You know someone coming to the united states if that's their pattern that could yeah. still be their pattern even though they're here and you yeah. have to recognize that so you know you know when it's appropriate to go out and try and build relationships and find people and when you're not going to find anybody because they're all at home you know taking their taking their nap taking their siesta or whatever yeah and by the way we we teach this on both sides i'm not saying that it's always got to be you know one group that makes the adjustments oh sure it, this is something that you know in a best case scenario everybody's saying oh okay i've got a certain uh, set of patterns in my life and the people around me have different patterns i would like to make a, i would like to build a bridge there somehow or another i have to adjust they have to adjust 
And so sometimes I think uh, it's really a, a good thing to, to call on the, the immigrant populations and say, you know, you're, you're now living in a different context and it would be, you'd really do well to, to try to enter into those patterns. Um, younger families that have kids in school, they're going to do that pretty naturally. They, they pretty much have to fall into those patterns. But, uh, yeah. but sometimes that, that can be an important conversation, too. It's not just a one-way street. It's, uh, yes. it's one of the reasons I use the picture of a bridge a lot. Bridges, you know, usually have two-way traffic on them. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's a, a good metaphor. Yeah, um, except for the ones in the country where I was raised, where you had to stop and then one person, <laughs> then the other person could. So, but you know, yeah, even, I was, even yep. there. All right. There's there's you know, there's got to be some unspoken agreement that, OK, I'm going to stop and I'm going to let you go. And then after you go, because otherwise, well, it's just not pretty. So so my uh, part, my parts of the Midwest growing up when that would happen. The rule was, if you're bigger, you keep going. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. So, all right. So, I, uh, well, I'll just go ahead and ask this one. Maybe we already touched on it a little bit. But so what are some practical steps that the the pastor and his church can begin taking, you know, even today? Let's say somebody's listening to this. They're struck with, hey, I, I want to get out there and do something. What are some practical steps they can start taking? Good. Um, we we recommend we actually uh, at our organization that we'd invite people to to get in touch with us and and give us a, a phone call or an email or whatever we would love to sure. to converse more. But we work on some tool sets. Uh, one is uh, uh, a a way a means of being able to more carefully observe what's going on around you. Uh, it, we we all get into our patterns of life and we think that we see what's happening, but the fact is that we only think we see what's going on around us because we're so familiar with it. Sure. But if we can slow that down and start saying, oh, wow, now I'm paying attention to the clock and I see that at this certain time things happen at this time they don't. So finding a way to be very deliberate about um, that kind of objective uh, measuring what colors are important. What are the foods that people like? Uh, how do people correct one another? What What are the conversations? Who talks to whom? Uh, how do people touch one another? Is you know yes. just what, what are those? And so we we talk about twelve languages of culture, and using those as a tool to be able to more uh, more objectively uh, actually see what's going on. That's a that's a good first step. Uh, another really powerful tool that we work with a lot is what we call the culture tree. And it's just seeing how everything actually connects. Uh, you know, there's if people have a certain set of behaviors or act a certain way on Monday morning, it's not just a, a random coincidence. There's there's probably some values and some experiences and some yes. some invisible culture that's behind that. And we really don't our, our interest really isn't in changing behaviors. As, as Christ followers, we're always pointing back to the heart, aren't we? And so uh, the culture tree, we use the, the picture, the analogy of the roots of a tree uh, in, instead of that biblical picture of the, the heart. Well, the Bible actually uses trees and roots as well in, in some oh, other well, places. Yes. But yeah, but go, go to that invisible world. Start to understand what's motivating people and what are the relationships that are key to them. And you'll start to see how does the organizational pattern work and how do people decide who's going to get invited to a party and 
why is it that that this group, uh, everybody who's involved in in this business are all related to each other? And you'll start to see the why behind all of that. And that's another really important practical step uh, of of understanding how to work well within a culture. So objectively seeing the patterns and then being able to put those patterns together into a meaningful kind of a diagram, a a map, if you will, of, of how the culture works. Uh, those are two very real possibilities and things that we help people to be able to uh, to start to map out. Mm-hmm. Yes, those are very good. Um, yeah, I think it's Hesselgrave, uh, David Hesselgrave, and some others who also use the uh, the illustration of an onion. Um, mm-hmm. You know, culture culture is like an ogre. Uh, ogres are like onions, uh, and so. <laughs> But you have to peel back the layers to get yeah. to what is all right. What is that root value or belief that is resulting in this particular behavior? Because mm-hmm. you know, all too often, either because we don't understand this, or simply uh, say this, maybe we're a little bit too lazy. Um, we we focus on the outside behavior, but no amount of behavioral change will ever really result in anything that lasts a long time. That's right. Uh, we'll, we'll change patterns for a short period of time, but you know, once the, once the authority is gone, once that person leaves, everything kind of re- returns back to its normal, its status quo. And yeah, we, uh, we used the, the onion for years and years, and it's a good model. It's a, it's a, it's a good picture too. I actually like trees better because trees are living and they they grow sure. and develop over years, and that's what happens sure. with the culture. It uh, yep. they also they're they're living things that that are not static. They they shift and change. Everything's connected, but but it's still always kind of in a dynamic rhythm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so how about the you know the pastor who is or the church uh don't want to just pick on the pastors but the church that's looking to start a multicultural church what you know what advice would you have for them and how they might go about you know making those connections helping helping their congregation uh deal with the ambiguity maybe of a of a multicultural church the fun thing about multicultural church as opposed to a uh, what we've been talking about up till now is reaching into one other multi, one other cultural group so uh, for instance the church that i'm involved with um, we have a broadly uh, hispanic latino part of our church and then a broadly anglo part of our church and they they interact well similar kinds of cultural backgrounds not not exactly the same but pretty similar if we really said we wanted to be a multicultural church and include, you know, the Korean and Vietnamese and Kenyan folks that live in our neighborhoods, it really becomes a different matter because now instead of instead of going out and wanting to learn everybody's culture, now we've got to turn it inside a little bit and say, what's the culture we want to develop within our church? Now, mm-hmm. any church has to do that, but once again, the culture tree can be a really helpful tool to do that. So a multicultural church is not going to be just Vietnamese and and North American. It's going to have to include those two. It's going to have to be a welcoming place and a place of growth and a place of of strength for those two, as well as the Kenyan and the Mexican and and the others. How do you do that? 
Well, you, you start by saying, what are, let's be deliberate about creating the kind of culture uh, environment within our church that shows the kind of worship towards God and the kind of love and care towards one another in ways that multiple multiple uh, different ethnic and, and cultural groups are going to recognize and feel. So uh, multicultural kind of enters into a whole different uh, realm. Uh, to me, it's really interesting how how that multicultural is is different than just bicultural. Working with two, you, you need to understand pretty deeply both of them. Multicultural, you have to put your focus on creating that that environment, that internal environment is going to be welcoming to a lot of different uh, different points of view. Mm, that's great. So, you know, what are we <clears throat> maybe emphasizing more? What are the things that we have in common as we're all trying to approach a a biblical worldview together? That's that's well said. Yeah, well said. So, you know, maybe just a, a simple illustration. What time does uh, what time do church meetings take place? You know, I mean, worship yep. times, um, you know, the, the I don't know that this is true. Maybe this is something that every church has to figure out on its own. But the, the story I've heard is that in the U.S., we we began meeting Sunday mornings, at, you know, fairly early, you know, mid mid morning ish kind of time. Uh, largely out of an agricultural need to to take care yeah. of things on the farm, and then, well, uh, it turns out that that was not of all of interest to to the uh, to the the Hispanic group that we're working with now, that said um, we're not on the farm anymore. Uh, we actually could meet, and and for us, our families, early afternoon is the perfect time. And we all looked at each other and said, well, why not? So it was a matter of dialogue and discussion and finding the best place to exhibit those, those patterns that we know God is wanting us to develop. Uh, you know, uh, don't, don't neglect the meeting, uh, the, the joining together of yourselves. Don't neglect those meetings. But when, where, But that how? doesn't have to mean Sunday at like 10 o'clock. Yeah. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just a, it's a simple, almost uh, too simple of an illustration, but that happens by dialogue. That happens by saying, how do we, how do we not assume that what we've always done is what we ought to do in this multicultural environment? Mm, absolutely. So, um, Mark, the time has gone way too fast. Uh, and so we are, that, that is really all we have time for today. I've, I've got to bring us to a close, but, um, you know, maybe we can come back, circle back around sometime and, and continue this conversation for, for some of our listeners here. So, um, if one last thing, you know, if somebody's listening today and they would like to get in touch with you, uh, for some of the training that you all do, what would be a good way for them to do that? The easiest is just find us on the internet, uh, culturebound.org. We are uh, just those two words, culture and bound, uh, run them together and put an ORG at the end and uh, you'll find us and we would love to talk to you. And Josh, this has been a pleasure. I really appreciate the, uh, the, the invitation. Oh, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's great having you. So, uh, well, thank you and thank everyone who listened today. God bless everybody. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Calvary Conversations, a service of Calvary University in Kansas City, Missouri. We invite you to participate in the conversation by contacting us through the Calvary University website, calvary.edu, or by calling us at 816-322-0110. Join us again next week for another Calvary Conversation.